This is Flick. This is Flick. They are the hands of the new Swiss watch. With children in mind, they teach the time. So you know when it's time for party time. Flick Flack is water resistant. Flick Flack is shock resistant. Flick Flack, Flick Flack is a Swiss watch for children that comes in a wonderful range of colors. Flick Flack, Flick Flack, Flick Flack is Swiss made. Shh, listen. That's the sound of a new delight on its triumphant way from the dairy. Delight low-fat cheese. It tastes as good as your favorite cheddar, yet it boasts only half the fat. Toast it and it's perfect for Welsh rabbits. So forgive us blowing our own trumpets, but it's called delight and it tastes so right and it's low in fat as well. Welcome, listeners of Illusion to Temporal Discussion, the episode-by-episode retrospective podcast on everybody's favourite kids' TV show, Nightmare. I'm Martin Harder, and this week I have been mostly eating pineapples. And I'm Martin O'Donoghue, and this week I've mainly been eating... uh, What have I been eating? Uh, I can't actually remember what I've been eating. Uh, I'm Martin O'Donoghue, and this weekend I've got amnesia. Get on with the (laughs) programme. This week we're looking at episode four, which was first broadcast on September the 28th, 1987. This is the week that Rick Astley was finally forced off the number one position by Mars with their hit Pump Up the Volume. Pump up the volume, pump up the volume. God, I hated that song. <laughs> <laughs> you really couldn't get away from that song for quite some time. It just sounded like a chant to me. You might as well put up as the sound of a football crowd or something, as far as I was concerned. It's definitely one of those songs that focuses heavily on repetition, isn't it? Yeah, is it actually a song, to be honest? Well, it, it's it? a, a piece of, no, I can't say music, a piece of sound. Let's say yeah. <laughs> art of noise. So anyway, the Untouchables is still the movie holding on to the number one box office position, but we haven't got anything to say about that. We haven't said before, and we have had nothing to say about it before either. So we'll just acknowledge the film that has been running a close second during the whole of the Untouchables reign, which is Stanley Kubrick's classic war movie, Full Metal Jacket. What's your excuse, sir? Excuse for what, sir? I'm asking the f-ing questions here, Private. Do you understand, sir? Yes, sir. Well, thank you very. Can I be in charge for a while? Sir, yes, sir! Are you shook up? Are you nervous? Sir, I am, sir! Do I make you nervous? Sir! Sir, what? Are you about to call me a asshole? Sir, no, sir! How tall are you, private? Sir, five foot nine, sir! Five foot nine? I didn't know they stacked sh- that high. You trying to squeeze an inch in on me somewhere, huh? Sir, no, sir! Bullshit! It looks to me like the best part of you ran down to crack your mama's Staying on the mattress. Now, who hasn't watched that one? Oh, absolutely. Fantastic movie. These are preambles would have been so much more interesting if only that <laughs> one had got to the top because we could talk about that for hours as a great one. And I have actually watched it, I should just add, just in case I haven't made that clear yet. Me too, and it is a great film. Definitely. It grips you far more quickly than The Untouchables as well. Very few films really portray the actual horrors of the Vietnam War better than Full Metal Jacket. I think it's a mixed bag. I think a lot of them try to play it down because they're trying to make the US look benevolent and others go rather too far the other way and go a little bit over the top and make you think Vietnam was sort of bombarded with high-range cruise missiles loaded up with 300 megaton nuclear warheads. Yeah, I think FMJs can be given um, a gold star for being one of the more accurate ones. Plus, it's one of the most quotable stroke unquotable movies of all time. (laughs) It's a lovely mixture of opposites, isn't it? (laughs) Wow, I can really quote this, uh, except I can't actually find the words. It's very quotable under certain circumstances. You wouldn't quote it in front of your parents. Let's just say that. You don't know my relationship (laughs) with my parents. And a lot of it was actually filmed near me. In fact, my brother-in-law's brother is actually in, you know, the wide shot of the assault course. Is he? When they're jumping over the the obstacles. He's one of the soldiers in that shot. How old is your your brother-in-law's brother? Older than him. I know that. But anyway, we're not actually here to discuss Full Metal Jacket, but we are here to talk Nightmare. Yes, we are. So without further ado let's crack on 
with the show. Welcome, watchers of illusion, to the castle of confusion. To begin with, as always, for season one, we get the standard greeting and introduction, followed by the dungeon ditty, which impressed me this week. Yeah. Um, uh, I just watched it about 20 minutes ago, and I've forgotten what was in the rhymes. Can you remind yeah, me? Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it? Um, I do remember. Well, that's a better one. It was a uh, something with which to fight, wasn't it? Or was that uh, a follow-up episode? Is it? This is before. Is this before he got the spells? Or uh, I can't remember. Uh, oh, still, just, we, we haven't prepared properly for this, have we? Um, this is just before he dies, isn't it? Yeah. So, th- yeah, yeah, this is um, it's one where he does something, something to provide light. And anvil with which to fight. That's the one, isn't it? It was lantern to provide light and anvil with which to fight. Yeah, that is actually pretty decent rhyme, although uh, light is always easy to find a rhyme for. So yeah, a thumbs up for that one, though. And now time turns, the fire burns, time out is gone, the quest is on. Right, now where am I? Right. There's straight in front of you, there's two doors opposite each other in the wall. And from those, two two spears are coming out of each. Warning, Dungeoneer and advisors. Simon must time his progress with care. There should be a safe zone between the spear paths, but don't leave it too long. Life force energy is not healthy. We are going to... Yes, it's the corridor of spears, isn't it? So, is it and the corridor of spears or the hall of spears? Because I call it I the corridor, corridor of spears. Yeah, I remember it as corridor, but nightmare.com says hall of spears. Right, it could be. Um, that same chamber was used in season two for one instance of the corridor of the catacombs, or at least that's how Traegard described it. Oh, really? Yeah, it was the one where you got that gigantic swinging metal ball, the, the gigantic Morningstar thing. Um, but he called it the Corridor of the Catacombs there, although it, it does look rather different from the way the corridor normally looks. But um, if that's called the Corridor, then surely this should be called the Corridor as well. But we'll, we'll go with Hall of Spears for now. It's, uh, I, I, I don't suppose Tim Child is going to sue us if we get it wrong. i tell you what, we'll put it to a Twitter vote. Let's get the public involved here. Yeah. It's important that we're in an era when democracy is really struggling and, and unhealthy in this country. This is the way to revive it, if you ask me. Get people voting on nightmare trivia decisions. When this episode comes out, I'll put a Twitter poll on our profile, which is at NightmarePod, with a K, obviously. Which would you prefer, the Corridor of Spears or the Hall of Spears? Corridor! Vote <laughs> Corridor! As I, say, I say Corridor of Spears, you might say Hall of Spears, just because it's easier. It's up to you. But say Corridor! Vote Corridor! Now, after that's a totally unbiased uh, bit of uh, vote preparation, let's resume. So as time out fades away, Simon finds himself with a particularly tricking-looking, timing-based obstacle, the Corridor of Spears. This is our very first view of this uh, particular little chamber, and it actually changed between seasons. There was a different version used in seasons two and three. Your wife had something to note about this. Yeah, she was just on the edge of her seat. She was convinced there was no way that they could possibly get through. To be honest, I think that's partly to do with... Like we've said before about the catacomb bite, it's a 2D painting being presented in 3D. This is actually a point I was going to going to discuss here. It's, it's related to this, and it's to do with the fact that they ha- they ended up changing the Corridor of Spears into something quite different in Season 2 and 3. The problem this version had was the spears had been set at too high an elevation. It's not just the 2D image thing. It's the fact that chroma key can make it look like something is nearer the camera, but it will still superimpose the image behind any solid objects and this was the mistake they made when they created the corridor of spears sorry hall of spears <laughs> yeah. for those who are listening to the podcast martin is making a very angry I'm face smiling i'm full of the joys of spring with the spears at this high elevation when the um the spears are out um and crossing each other on the screen it really does make the corridor look very narrow so it does look like it's impossible for dungeon to get through in fact when the spears are apart the gap is enormous and it takes quite a long time for the spears to cross again so you do actually have 
have plenty of time to get through, but it does look very, very awkward. But the problem they had with it, and this is why after the Dungeoneer gets past a pair of the spears, they suddenly stop moving. Because if they closed up again, yeah. even though the Dungeoneer is beyond them within the, ge- within the game, the spears will still appear behind them, or well, rather in front of them, depending on how you look at it, because the chroma key can't put CGI images over the physical object. They realized um, very quickly when they were doing this that they had to stop the spears moving in order to maintain the illusion of uh, the Dungeoneer actually being in a corridor with spears coming in and out. So what they did in season two when they reintroduced it with a new version, they had both sets of spears very close to floor level and it meant when the Dungeoneer got past the first one, the image would appear below rather than in front of the Dungeoneer's feet. They also took away an awful lot of flagstones from the floor and the walls in the new one just to make it a little bit more difficult and to narrow the path even more. Yeah, and it just generally looked a lot cooler as well. You could see the mechanism that was working the spears there's more going on there when you're watching it. I think the actual, the spears coming in and out here are more dramatic. That's because there's pairs of them. So there is a bigger feeling of obstacle and therefore being more of a challenge to get through it, as your wife noted. But yes, I do think the mechanism, because of the elevation, you could keep the spears moving in and out after the Dungeoneer was past them. And so that also gave it a more relentless feel as well as being um, more of a mechanism. So that also added something. I should also mention after the first set of spears in, in this original incarnation the second set of spears just, just in front of the door are pathetic because they don't actually cross yeah they don't even meet in the middle they're like you could actually probably just yeah. walk straight yeah, through that's it exactly what I mean. they don't cross they only just reach the two sides of the door if the dungeoneer is more or less centered on the door just walk just keep walking it's fine go despite some slightly confusing instructions from advisor Stephen. right when i say go go quickly forward for till i say stop in a second go quick stop go forward one pace no don't right run forward when i say this go our plucky powers prevail over this particularly pointy puzzle and move on to the next chamber now what am i we can't see you but it's all dark Dungeoneer Simon is again in a very dark room as both the team and the watchers experience a strange case of deja vu. This is the second time in this quest. There's two possible explanations for this. One of them is unlikely to be true because as far as I know, they weren't doing it in season one. That explanation is each level is sort of a self-contained storyline. If a team fails to complete the level then the level two of that quest is passed on to the next Dungeoneer who will play a different version of level one. If a Dungeoneer fails on level two, then that version of level three goes on to the next Dungeoneer to get to level three and so on and so on. As far as I know, they only introduced that approach in season two because the actors were basically complaining that they were learning loads of lines and then most of it went to waste. To take the first Dungeoneer, he got to the level one wellway room, but the cast had already learned stuff for um, level 2 and they were even starting to learn stuff that they would have to perform in level 3 the start of season 2 they stopped doing that they did each level could be carried over to a different quest so there'd be no overlap between levels so one script for level 2 could go to one Dungeoneer and the next one could go to a three Dungeoneers later that stopped any overlap uh, it also stopped a lot of wastage although as Tim Child has himself said on occasion there was still a lot of stuff wasted because you know a Dungeoneer gets to level 2 but then gets close clobbered by Cedric just before the clue room. The rest of the level two still just goes in the trash. What was the other explanation that I was thinking of? What were we talking about again? Oh yeah, because of the use of the flare spell and then the lantern spell, that was it, yeah. The other possibility is that Tim Child just thought, let's do the same thing again, because at least we're being consistent. Again, the team used magic to solve this particular problem. Spell casting. L-A-N-T-E-R-N. Guy in front of you sat on by the well. Who turned that light on? Who disturbs the sleep of Jimmit? Well, whoever you are, you're gonna pay for it now! Yes, Gibbet. Played by Alec Westwood, quite a major actor um, in the first two seasons of Nightmare. This was his first appearance. As I mentioned uh, previously, his main role was Folly the Jester. Folly still hasn't appeared yet. He'll appear in the next quest. And it's uh, it's quite nice for Alec, this bit, because he gets to use his own voice. When he plays Folly, he performs him as a sort of Timothy Claypole clone. He's, he's actually from Aberdeen. He was able basically to do that in more or less his own natural voice. I think he gave it a slight Glasgow roughened up element to it, so 
uh, having lived in Glasgow for about seven or eight years myself, I recognised that slightly guttural twist to it. Other than that, it was basically his own voice. And my goodness, he plays Gibbet aggressively. A guy with a name like Gibbet, you can only play him aggressively. But I think, as far as I remember, he only had two appearances. Yes, and the second appearance, I won't go into it now, but the second appearance, he has one of my favourite lines in Nightmare ever, because it's just so sassy. Yeah, so I remember it, but we'll keep it as a, as a treat that bit, I think. Yeah, it is a great line, yeah. But it's, it is a pity, really, because um, they made up this rather nice costume for him and um, got it to fit. And I think he only got about two minutes of screen time in it. <laughs> entirely because they didn't retain Gibbet for the second season. They retained Folly, but not Gibbet. Maybe Alec Westwood just didn't like the costume. Next time I speak to him, I'll ask him about that. I'm sorry, I just can't get enough of this book. I know, it's amazing. <laughs> Name drop. You know, whilst he's rigorously toweling me down and putting grapes in my mouth, you know. He is actually a nice chap, though, Alec Westwood. He, he genuinely is. The one problem with this scene as a scene is it is painfully obvious while the team are differing over what to do Gibbet is standing there waiting for them it's one of those things that happens a fair bit in Nightmare um, and I think this is one of the worst examples of it ever though you can tell that the non-player character is currently if you've ever watched Existence you've got non-player characters who always seem to do a loop movement when they're waiting for the player character to make a move this is the loop movement in Nightmare yeah. he's basically just standing there weapon poise and just swaying backwards and forwards some of our younger fans in Rick and Morty when Jerry is in the simulation. Well, say something. Do you like it? Yes. You do? Yes. yes. So, I sold it? <laughs> I sold the idea? Yes. Oh my god. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Now, I, at the beginning of this quest, and I meant it with every sincerity, and I still mean it with every sincerity, this is the first decent team on Nightmare, and it, they've made the show, in, over the course of a couple of episodes, a hell of a lot better to watch. But, this is the point where they seem to suffer the most startling brain freeze imaginable because having played so well for two levels they're just on the threshold of level three and they do something stupid say nighty night little one because here i come maybe if we turn the light on spell casting a dispel Dispel. Dispel. A-N-L-T-E-R-N. Dear, dear, dear. I don't think that was quite the thing to do. Over to you, Mr. Harder. Not that I mean to imply that you're stupid. So we've been singing their praises for a couple of episodes now. And they're deserved. Oh, yeah, definitely. But what, I don't know what happened here. I mean, they were clearly given two spells for a reason. He, he, and, and even one of the advisors is saying, oh, we should cast Anvil. He says it twice. We should cast Anvil. But no, what they do instead is dispel the lantern spell. The only reason I can think of why they choose to do that is because they've just cast a spell a second ago and they're worried that if they then cast a second one immediately, that's kind of wasting a spell. But it's also the end of the level and the likelihood is you're not going to be able to use the spell in the next level anyway. No, exactly. But also, there's nothing else available to fight Gibbet off with. The Dungeoneer is blindfolded. He cannot see Gibbet to fight him. How does turning the light off help if that means the advice now can't see him to fight him either and if you haven't got the lantern uh, lantern switched on anymore you also can't see to guide him to the wellway in the cold light of day the magic is scripted to have a to be used in a particular place and it's pretty clear that was the place to use it nightmare isn't as non-linear as they will have you believe no it's very linear it's extremely linear it's uh, it's one of the most linear um choose your own adventure style uh, interactive entertainments there is in truth Dragard tells the remaining team members that the situation called for either offensive or defensive magic and that simply turning off the lights was never going to be enough to save Simon. He then reminds them that although Simon's life was ended in the dungeon, he lives on in our reality and is waiting to be reunited with his teammates for the journey home. Spellcasting. D-I-S-M-I-S-S. Have you noticed the magic effects always starts before he finishes it? No, but I always will now. So, Traegar bids for Team Farewell, reflecting that they did very well to get so far into the dungeon. And yeah, 
I think that's true. This this is the first genuinely did do very well. As as I said the other week, I do think that if they'd had a, an opportunity to watch Nightmare before playing, they would certainly got into level three. They they might have got quite close to winning. But at the same time, the brain freeze at the end does raise a serious doubt. Now, I think they would have got far, but I don't think they would have come too close to winning. They, they panicked under pressure a little bit. They were fine with the obstacles that weren't really there, but when it came to a guard played by an actual actor. They crumpled. Shouldn't forget that they did get past Cedric. Well, that's true. Ah, well, life goes on, or not, as they say. And there are still deeds to do before time flies. The dungeon wins and challenges still. But who shall be next to pick up the gauntlet? Enter, stranger. Who dares the dungeon next? Danny Clayton. And now we have probably our youngest dungeoneer, Danny and his friends, Nigel, Tom, and Mark. All hail from Portsmouth. Danny already looks terrified of Treyguard, so he's probably glad he's going to have this bucket on his head for the rest of the screen time. And his advisors seem to exhibit a mix of extreme bravado and subservience through fear. Well, first thing to say, um, I think he's right to be afraid of Treyguard at this time. <laughs> he looks so terrified. Treyguard was probably the most intimidating aspect of the stories in this time. Danny's team, actually, although, although they're a lot younger than Simon's team, in some respects they're quite a similar story to Simon's team, in that... Uh, spoiler they do actually do very well early on um and they look increasingly promising as they get further and further into level two but then just as they're on the brink of um of of level three they have another absolutely ludicrous brain freeze pretty much out of nowhere i remember watching it when it was current and realizing how long danny had been questing and thinking hmm, i wonder how far they, these guys go this is actually looking quite promising and the brain freeze happened immediately after that if you look at danny's face when Treyguard does the whole there's no turning back it he's looking at Treyguard and looking at the helmet and then looking back at Treyguard and you look on his face and you can see he's buying into this he's like proper terrified he is on the verge of saying no <laughs> yeah it can be it can be quite entertaining when, it, when teams get just slightly too involved with it but it can also be rather maddening because if they get intimidated they just go into almost into robot mode and just don't really say or do anything without being told to on the subject of being intimidated it has to be said one of the advisors here was also incredibly nervous during the introduction scene it's the guy with the blonde hair and the yellow shirt called mark apparently he had to retake his introduction something like two dozen times Oh, bless him. Because he was so nervous that he kept on chuckling awkwardly as he gave his name out. And even with the take they finally used, he still does this nervous laugh. And they just left it in because they thought, oh, God, we've used up about 20 minutes here trying to do this. We're running out of recording time for the studio. It's even more noticeable because the advisor sitting next to him is so full of bravado. There's a bit of a contrast, isn't there? When you look at how nervous and, and slightly scared they seem, or a couple of them seem in the uh, intro scene it is actually a bit of a surprise that they did as well as they did they're actually not a bad team at all although Mark Blondie uh, I have to say he didn't contribute very much <laughs> that was positive to the quest the bravado guy he was the alpha advisor I think he actually did a pretty good job as a kind of captain Danny's got the makings of a rather snazzy looking mullet yeah. you think he was a Neighbours fan? I think it's quite possible I think he wanted to be Mike from Neighbours you know Guy Pierce. he and Jason Donovan basically were the ones who popularised the mullet in the UK over the previous couple of years. You will have read the rules of ritual and the adventurer's code, but first, for those who merely watch, a brief reminder. Here is the helmet of justice. Skip to the end. And step boldly forward. Now, I wanted to say this is the first time he actually says, step boldly forward. And I remember that as always being the line. It's an interesting phenomenon. It happens a lot in TV programs. There's always a tendency to think things are permanent fixtures of a program. They're actually introduced quite late on. If you take The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, for instance, if you um, if you listen to the radio series, the original radio series, you can be startled to realise some of the things that aren't in it. One thing which is always associated very eagerly with Hitchhiker is towels. And the idea that the towel is the perfect weapon for it 
for any hitchhiker. There's no mention of it in the first, in the original radio series. Are you sure? I'm very sure. The, um, the, the Features on Tiles was actually used in the second season of the radio series instead. Wow, I'm going to have to get that out. <laughs> it's not mentioned in the first radio series at all. It can come as a shock to people. It happens in all sorts of things. There's also the things you, you imagine are completely permanent features. Actually not. As I mentioned earlier, I used to think that Folly was in every episode of the first season. He actually didn't appear until halfway through. As you say, this is the first time he says step boldly forward. Up until this point, he said to take a step forward. Again, it catches you out. A lot of people think that every single time there was a death, he said, Ooh, nasty. No, he didn't. He didn't even say it half the time, but he did say it enough that it becomes iconic. Hello, listeners of Illusion. At this point, we went on a full 20-minute ramble about famous lines from TV shows and movies that were never actually said. Because we don't want the podcast to be five hours long, I've edited most of it out, but here are some highlights. Captain Kirk did not say, beam me up, Scotty. Darth Vader did not say, Luke, I am your father. Marlene Dietrich did not say, come up and see me sometime. And Humphrey Bogart did not say, play it again, Sam. Thank you. We will now return to talking about Nightmare. So anyway, let's get started with the quest. Where am I? Um, Daniel, we're in a room. There's four large doors leading out of the room. Four door chamber again. But at least there's something different in there this time. At least they're doing something else with it. So let's let it pass. And as we were forecasting, it's the first appearance of Folly the Jester. As I say, it does come as a bit of a surprise to realise retrospectively that he didn't make his debut until this far into the first season. And sometimes we're given to wonder, was Alec Westwood hired later than everybody else? And so um, that's why he doesn't actually make any appearances until the fifth episode of the series. Because, you know, it's the first season is eight episodes long and his first two appearances are at the start of the second half of the season. There's also a Jester standing. A careful team, I think you'd better let me deal with this gentleman first. Polly, what are you doing here? Oh, a hail, master! Polly states that he plans to conduct personal guided tours of the dungeon, including monster encounters that he promises will be a totally unforgettable experience, in that you're unlikely to live to forget it. Although I expect that if you've been around Folly for that long already, you're probably ready to give your life to the monster anyway. If it was Motley, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Because it's Folly, I agree with it uh, four-fifths heartedly. I mean, this is nothing against the actor, obviously. I think he's supposed to be slightly annoying. Yeah, well, possibly. He's supposed to be confusing, mainly. But Folly is a funnier jester than Motley without being funny. Um, Motley is a more interesting character than Folly without being interesting. Much, much later, you can add Sylvester the Jester from the, the Geek Week episode, who's just boring. The Geek Week episode. I really don't like it at all. I like bits of it. There are some irritating parts in it, certainly. Uh, and Sylvester certainly is one of the strong points. For me, Nightmare needs to have a certain budget behind it, and it's very clear that they didn't have it. That's true. So they did their best with what they had, but what they had wasn't really worth doing it with, in my opinion. I watched it again a few days ago, and I, I quite enjoyed it. I did wish that Sylvester was cleared off the screen a bit quicker. The fact that they didn't bring him back for a second scene was really painful, but it was possibly entertaining. There is a slight darkness to Folly here that I never really noticed before, and it reminds me of watching the cartoon Garfield, His Nine Lives, which, if you haven't seen it, it's a Garfield special with several short stories based around each one of Garfield's nine lives as a cat, and one of them is he is a blue cat who lives with a composer who is composing a piece for the king or emperor and there's this really kind of psychotic jester in it who wants this composer to fail and the reason this kind of links to Nightmare is because as part of this collection of short stories is a story called Diana's Piano and if you've seen it you're probably already crying at the moment because it's one of the saddest stories that I've ever seen animated and spoilers it ends with the line, Diana climbs down onto the piano, laid her head down and quietly passed away. I didn't know what passed away meant, so I asked my parents. My parents said that it meant that she'd gone to sleep. I knew that wasn't true, so I asked other people and found out that passed away meant that she had passed on, that she had died. 
And that was the point I started questioning things. Not only did I figure out that my parents could and would lie to me to spare my feelings, but that's also the point I started to realise that things I saw on television weren't necessarily real. And I started to realise that these deaths in Nightmare were just special effects. Yeah. A lot of the time they didn't even have that. That is true. The point is, I've said before, that I believed that they were actually killing kids and then bringing them back to life. And this is the point I was granted license to realise to myself they just weren't killing them in the first place. With regards to Garfield, sinister clown figures are a dime a dozen in Garfield oh, yes. cartoons and comic strips. It's quite clear that Jim Davis, the guy who created Garfield, has a phobia about clowns. A dark side to folly, yeah. He doesn't actually mean any harm, but at the same time, as Treyguard is often moaning, he does sometimes become an obstruction. So he doesn't mean harm, but he's not particularly interested in doing good either. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily true. He, just, he does harm without realising it, I think. This is the main problem. He gives clues without asking for anything in return, for instance. He gives the odd spell in return for nothing more than a correct riddle answer. So I think he wants to be a positive, but sometimes he just slows everything down. Fiddle, faddle, faddle, fiddle. The path to truth is in the riddle. Go third from left and certain death, whilst fourth from right is out of sight. The foolish folk that I can diddle take the door that second right from the middle. What this sequence um, with Folly giving a free clue to the team is it, it demonstrates something that recurs throughout this quest, which is that although it's a decent team, they are easily confused by riddles. Did you notice, by the way, after um, Danny gets the clue from Folly, not only does he make Folly say it again, do you notice afterwards Danny doesn't at any stage of the scene bother to thank Folly? I love the... <laughs> noise that Folly makes when they ask him to repeat it. And I'm with him on that. Why do you need him to repeat it? The thing is, bodily noises does appear to be a feature of this particular episode, doesn't it? Yeah, so I was going to come to that later. But, yeah, flatulence is a, is a constant theme. Anyway, they figure out the correct way to go, just about, from the slightly elaborate description. Now where am I? Okay, Dan, you're in a reasonably large room with a fireplace in the right-hand side wall. In front of you, there is two doors. Warning, team. Here be worms. This one is deadly. Here we are back in the worm chamber again, only this time the snake appears to slither out of the hole rather than just appearing there, which seems to me to add a, a greater sense of peril. The first time the worm room appeared, what you got was basically there was nothing there, and then, uh, as if by teleport, a snake materialises in the middle of the room and just sits there. There was no reason for panicking like that. They could have just gone around it very, very comfortably. We were saying before that maybe the snake was filmed months, possibly even years before that. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they couldn't get the bloody thing to move. <laughs> <laughs> That's possible. I'd, I'd like to know where they got a snake from in order to do the filming for it. But I suppose, I suppose they, 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 you can arrange that. There's, there's people who keep pet snakes. Yeah. One of the problems with pets is, of course, they're domesticated, so they tend to be relatively docile. Here, what they've got is they found a new video clip which actually has the snake moving along the floor even if it doesn't actually head straight for Danny there is a chance that it'll actually cut off Danny from the doorway which means there's a threat in more ways than one they don't seem to let it phase them at all though they got Danny quite quickly out of the room quite smoothly I want to say here as well this team seemed quite good at giving directions but I think Danny's not very good at following them it, it only happens occasionally and I, and I would say in fairness to him there's plenty of other Dungeoneers who, who are no better and some of them have got even further than he did so I don't know if Danny himself is a particular problem and certainly the other uh, big brain freeze they have later has very little to do with Danny's lack of responsiveness where am I now Danny you're in a sort of a room it looks a bit like a kitchen there's two doors in one of the corners and in the middle of the room is a table can you see the table from there so anyway, we now gaze upon the welcome sights of the grey walls, grey ceiling and uh, ugly blue and red checked floor of the level one clue room. I think it was at this point um, for a lot of fans that people were starting to get slightly irritated because 
the level one clue room is always exactly the same in season one. They introduced a second one to Wall State with it in season two, and that makes all the difference in the world. The second one, which appears in season two, is a lot grander. So that certainly freshens things up a little bit. All is how it usually is here, though. On the table, we've got a pineapple, a bag of salt, a key, and rather startlingly elaborate golden Buddha statue. Probably 99p from Boots, but it does look very convincing. Pineapple, of course, goes straight into the knapsack. I actually did some research on this. We're assuming that Nightmare takes place in the Middle Ages, which is between the 5th century and either the 13th or 15th century. I would put uh, the Middle Ages, I mean, the 5th century is actually the Dark Ages. I would say the Middle Ages probably start around about the year 800 or there's about. As is always the case with history, there's no clearly defined dividing line between one era and another, it's, and it's something that historians are very, very eager to avoid making the mistake of thinking. Okay, but they were definitely over by the end of the 15th century, possibly beginning of the 16th century. Uh, yeah, um, 15th century, late 15th century is when the so-called early modern period began. Take the Wars of the Roses as, as a very rough end of the medieval era and the start of early modern era. And we know that Nightmare is supposedly set somewhere in England. Where the heck did the pineapple come from? Pineapples weren't introduced into Europe until at least the 17th century. Well, thing about England is it's a temperate zone. Pineapples don't migrate! I have to say, compared with some of the food samples that you get in Nightmare Stories, this is actually a thoroughly benign mistake. In one of the Nightmare game books, there's a jar, and on it is a label saying Big Bill's Beefy Extract. (laughs) I'd forgotten about that. And also, there's a hamburger in all places, level three. Oh, there's even a reference to real men don't eat quiche as well. Compared with that, I I am perfectly prepared (laughs) to let the pineapple go. You can easily argue that some explorers who just his his voyages just didn't go recorded for whatever reason it, it maybe it was a viking who'd gone to the americas and managed to pick up a pineapple from there and brought it home with him and was going to show it uh, show it to his family he got blown off course on the way home and crash landed on the shores of england and he happened to leave the pineapple behind the pineapple after all that would probably be a bit bruised and a bit past best uh that adds uh, probably about 25 years uh, for the dungeoneer to arrive and uh putting in a knapsack is probably going to poison the dungeoneer alternatively it could have just been carried there by a swallow yes yes what uh, what more explanation do you need never mind the fact the pineapple is probably going to be about three times the bird's actual body weight it's fine it's a good explanation with two swallows carrying it between them into a into a temperate zone we should probably dial back on the monty python references a little bit we've only done one well i suppose that speech did only we've probably got four or five in there now (laughs) (laughs) we've got the fruit thing (laughs) but you've got to include it when you're asking a question about pineapples appearing in night don't you you've got got to include a reference monty python and the and the oily gruel yeah i I was watching that with my girlfriend a couple of months ago i had to bring it up i had to no choice okay so we've delayed too long on this conversation and <laughs> Danny's delayed too long in this chamber. You have delayed too long in this chamber. Traeger has now given up all pretense of knowing which wall monster is which and states that they all look alike to him. Today's guardian is Granitas, who seems a bit windy. Pardon? I don't understand how a wall monster would have wind. And I don't really want to think about it. I mean, is this, is this, does this mean that outside the dungeon there's a storm raging and the burps are just the sound of the uh, the wind outside actually passing through the war monster? I think you've already thought about it too much. I might well have done. Does this mean that war monsters have lungs? Do they have stomach acids? I'm thinking about this too much of, uh, even now, aren't I? I suppose we should be grateful that it, it was that type of flatulence that we had to endure rather than the other kind. It's the sort of joke that a teenager would come up with and think, is being really funny but a teenager will roll their eyes at if they're watching somebody else doing it yeah you could understand if a teenager was actually the writer on the series those jokes being in there but tim child was a bit older than that by this point i just think Traegard looks at the team and says to them don't laugh team not a single one of them is laughing the only one who's actually anywhere close to laughing is Traegard. you get the feeling that they genuinely thought the team were going to laugh Hmm. when they scripted it so to the riddle contest. Here is my first. Before the coming of the Grail, before the Norsemen's Viking hordes, before even the Romans came, these priestly rulers held these shores. 
who were they? Druids. It's noticeable that Danny doesn't wait for his teammates to discuss it. I rather like it when Dungeons do that. If they know the answer, they just declare it. I like that. I, I like that. That's assertive. That means you're getting on with the game. And, I, and that's that's always good. Yeah, is my second. Rocks, it has not. Humans, it has not. It is the sickness of the ages. Yet the strongest iron and steel cannot defeat it. What is it? I think that they didn't listen to this riddle properly because I can't see how they would have got it wrong if they had. I'm going to speak up a little bit in defence of them here. The answer they come up with is wrong. But at the same time, I will say in defence of them, it's a clever answer they've come up with, and it does fit part of the riddle. Time. Time. Falsehood. Rust was the truth, I said. Here is my... Fun. Bad. It is written, but not easily read. It almost rhymes with doom. Yet doom is not all it says. It may be cast, yet not away. Know you the truth of what I say? This is actually one of my favourite riddles in Nightmare. Um, the answer is runes. It, it's a very clumsily worded um, riddle that you're coming up with things like it almost rhymes with doom. Yeah, at least they didn't actually uh, try to rhyme it with doom. They've they've done that before. But they do actually get the correct answer after Traegar gives them a big f***ing clue. They really shouldn't have needed that bit of prompting, so uh, I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt on that bit. So the team scored two correct answers, and they granted the knowledge that some locks need more than keys. So they take the salt and the Buddha, which makes good sense. And the advisors then have to remind Danny that he can't put the salt in his knapsack and then tell him to hurry up because he's taking too long. Yeah, they, they literally just say, hurry up, Danny, you're taking too long. <laughs> Danny, you're in a bomb room. Hurry up and go straight, straight across the room. Don't let crashing. Right, Danny, you're in Danny, you're in a stony cavern. There's a serpent's head in the far wall, and opposite you there is well, right by you there is a big opening. So stay where you are. Over the other side of the opening is a lady dressed up with a cloak and some sort of crown. Aha! Lilith, being Lilith, wastes absolutely no time in asking for a gift. She does seem to be in a rather polite mood, not quite as uh, overbearing. She does seem to be prone to mood swings, shall we say. Um, and she seems to be in one of her more polite, more self-contained moods here. She's delighted when Danny offers her the Buddha and says she can't remember the last time she has had such an attractive visitor. Yeah, I had to go back and listen to that bit again because that's kind of creepy. It is. It is. This happens, in fact, almost every time she appears. Not quite every time she appears, but this is probably the first genuinely noticeable one. There's actually a second really, really huge duvontange in the scene. This one is doubly bad because she's saying it to a kid of about 10 or 11 years old. After being presented with this golden Buddha, she says, bring that gorgeous little knick-knack with you for my further examination. I'm not sure which one should be duvontange of the week for episode four, but it's definitely one of those two. And because the Dungeoneer is so young, Yes, it also sounds extremely creepy. I'm half tempted when I edit this to put some Barry White in the background. I never take anything for granted. Only a fool maybe takes things for granted. I can't remember when I've had such an attractive Just because it's here today, it, it can be gone tomorrow. Bring that gorgeous little knickknack with you. And that's one thing that you'll never in your life ever have to worry about me. My further examination. If I'll ever change towards you because... Uh, sorry, give it to me. Baby, I love you. 
So Danny gives the statue to Lilith and she gives him the spell Itch in return. Although Danny is so keen to go, she has to call him back to gift it to him. She tells him that there is an antidote, but won't tell him what it is. Be gone, Danny, before I take the ground. Where am I? You know that big stone serpent's head? I do. Well, it turns out it might not be stone after all. And Danny has now slid down the gullets into its stomach. And he appears to literally go down some kind of slide yes. to arrive in the stomach. It was quite fun. It does, actually. I get the feeling looking at him, he does actually seem to be enjoying it. There must have been a big blue slide in the chroma key studio. I love the way he says, Where am I? Because obviously they say it in every room. But this particular time, he actually seems really confused as to where he is. The advisor seems slightly confused as well. This scene gets used quite a lot over the first three seasons, in fact, the, the monster's stomach. There's also a board game based on Nightmare, and the monster's stomach even appears as a chamber in that. So uh, it's pretty clear that somebody liked it. Treyguard is being very unfair because it suggests the teams were not very bright to walk through the serpent's mouth. Where else were they going to go, though? This is the same thing as them stumbling into the corridor of the catacombs. The monster's stomach is even, at one stage in season three, a heavily distorted version of this chamber was even used as a kind of origin between chambers if you walk through the serpent's mouth cavern in season three you'd seem to walk through this stomach lining circular corridor oh yeah i remember thinking that was actually quite a cool effect yeah it was it was quite a cool effect a bit random it's a bit random yes well whatever you're going to do i suggest you do it quickly how do you get out of an upset stomach is the question yeah and remember what we were mentioning earlier about flatulence well i'm sure a number of the listeners have already guessed by now the next reference is dead ahead put the salt down danny drop the salt well done, team. The only way to get out of a stomach is to cause a stomach upset. Your salt will do the trick. See now, it's already taking effect. I don't really want to think about the details of his escape, but I suppose it is better than the alternative route. Oh, God, this episode is totally disgusting. <laughs> oh, where am I? Oh, yes. It's the great part of the catacombs But it disappoints time after time Traeger talks it up But it's just at the stuff And yes, that was a virtual ride this time one of the doors has a goblet in front of it and the team guide Danny through the door. So what do you think the significance of the goblet is here? Is it a quest object? We don't know, do we? I mean, I think we should probably assume it is that they were on the quest for the cup. But at this stage, the object of the quest wasn't really made explicit. Where am I now? Down here in a large room, there's um, something that looks like a well in there. And also a, a large night with a... Halt! Intruder! I, Gumboyle the Orid, command you! On leaving the corridor, Danny has made it all the way to the end of level one, and we get our second clear view of the wellway chamber. Sadly, or maybe not sadly, it's guarded by a new character calling himself Gumboyle the Orid. So Gumboyle was in the series until the end of uh, season two. He was played by Edmund Dane, a fairly polished actor, Edmund. Uh, the roles he got in Nightmare were not exactly overflowing with depth, but he plays the character of Gumboyle for all it's worth. That's what's uh, Yeah, he's definitely giving it his all. Yeah, Gumboyle is a rather uh, pitiful character, really. And one of the reasons he's so pitiful is because he really imagines himself to be the absolute opposite. He always introduces himself as Gumboyle, followed by a really grand-sounding subtitle preceded by the definite article. So he's Gumboyle the Handsome, Gumboyle the Horrid, Gumboyle the Incorruptible, etc., etc. Every time he gets into a fight, he gets beaten up. Not sure how horrid a prospect it is taking him on. The password? At once! Spell. Or you perish! Spellcasting! I. T. C. H. Sorcery. Oh, no. <laughs> the itch spell scene is relatively amusing. I think it's less puerile than all the burp gags we've been having so far. It's amusing at least as much for the places Gumboil doesn't have to scratch as for the ones that he does have to scratch. <laughs> and I'm not going to say any more about that. <laughs> oh, God, this episode is disgusting. <laughs> 
And what do you think of it so far? Rubbish. And? Utter drivel. And? Embarrassment. And? John Yates said he was very much looking forward to hearing the pussy jokes. <laughs> and? Okay. Oh dear. Danny and the team used the itch spell to get past Gumboil before making their way down the well to level two. Now where am I? You're in an open cavern. There seems to be something like a crusader standing over. Oh! The door. And of course, who should be guarding the next chamber but Cedric? He calls Danny a dog's bottom dungeoneering dog. And tells him he will need to earn the food on the table, but before he can pose Danny a riddle... Warning team, a complete temporal disruption approaching. Time is now the enemy. Oh dear, a temporal disruption complete. Wow, assessing the episode. What a very silly way for Simon to get eliminated. But yeah, it's another promising team. It's a pity that uh, their first level proved to be so overloaded with immaturity, but it is what it is. You can see that there's clear indicators here why this team was able to get roughly the same distance as Simon's team was. They are a decent side. Not a great side, probably a bit too young and a bit too raw, but good enough that they can think on their feet. After watching this with my wife the other day, I'd taken a few notes. My process is I watch it once with my wife and I'll take notes and then i'll watch it again and i'll actually write the script and i was looking at it thinking i'm a bit worried that we're not going to have that much to talk about this one but we've now been recording for two hours admittedly there was a toilet break in the middle that reduces it by a whole two minutes yes <laughs> i think you should have enough material to make something out of it <laughs> i'm not actually finished yet because i wanted to discuss the uh the, the signature tune whilst we're here because we haven't actually done that no we haven't have we i thought we should have a little mention of it i think it's a bloody brilliant theme tune it is got. i think it's one of it should be one of the most famous tv theme tunes ever it's certainly one of the best to come out of the 1980s and a few years ago I can't remember what the show was, but they actually used it as a Can You Remember This Tune competition on a Saturday Night TV show. You'll probably tell me which one it was. Everybody's dimly recognised it, but none of them could name it. That's such a shame that it isn't more famous, because it's a brilliant tune. It was composed by Ed Welch. For some reason, I've no idea why, I used to think it was composed by Tony Hatch, who was the guy who invented the Neighbours theme tune. So I don't know where I got that idea from. Ed Welch, also famous for doing the Blockbusters uh, theme tune. Of course, that's why they match up. If you can watch the opening of Blockbusters with the theme tune of Nightmare playing and they match perfectly. Yeah, yes they do. They put up YouTube videos. Yeah, it's like a dark side of the rainbow type thing. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. There were three different versions of the theme tune that were made. The first one is, is this one which is very uh, supernatural and very haunting and the opening title music in particular is really quite chilling. Um, it's got this really powerful screech at the beginning of it, the descending chords and some quite harsh chords all the way through. We were talking privately, weren't we, that it's got a very ultra Ultravox sound to it. Yes, that's a reasonable comparison. I, th I think the Ultravox tends to go for something slightly more cheerful, but in season four, they started taking the action outside the dungeon and started using real world locations for the backgrounds instead of hand paintings. Because of the slight the change of mood, the change of, of, of atmosphere, they decided to come up with a new version of the theme tune. It's still based on the original, but it, now it's, it's a pseudo orchestral one. I think I prefer the original, but that version is a close second for me. And then and there was a third version introduced in season six, which I'm not so fun though. It was okay. It was basically done to match the new opening titles, I think. Some people prefer it. I find it, it keeps getting broken up and loses all of its flow too often for me to really get into it. I think it depends on what you grew up with. I know some of the younger Nightmare fans, if you're listening, hello, Amy. Hello, young shady one. Uh, some of the younger fans do prefer that music just because that's what they remember. It could be. It may be that I just feel more nostalgic for the early years. The main thing I remember is that screech at the beginning, especially in the first version, because that's how our new Nightmare was on. Yeah, always. It was so loud and so sharp. If you were in the kitchen, as soon as you heard that, you'd go, oh, the program's starting, and you'd notice, <laughs> shoot, zoom through to the front room. Exactly. <laughs> Make sure your bloody sister doesn't try to turn the TV over. So, overall, a rather childish episode of Nightmare, but not completely without its entertainment or redeeming qualities. And so that's the end of the episode for us. If you'd like, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at NightmarePod. We are. You can also email us at... What's our email address? <laughs> that's why I wasn't going to say it. I don't know what our email address is. 
You can also email us at broomcupboardclub at gmail.com and we'd especially like to hear from you if you were involved in the programme in any way, be it behind the scenes or in front of the camera. We really want to know your take on things. And if you want to find us on the nightmare.com forums, I am Temporal Discussion on there. We just like to generally give a big plug to nightmare.com. At the time of recording this, they've just had a massive overhaul and the site looks fantastic. I'm also on the forum and I use the username hstorm. So, uh, don't have nightmares. Just watch them instead. Bye for now.